Hello? Hey, Kara North. It's Joe Suarez. Believe it or not, you're the only Joe that I know. What's going on? What can I do for you? So I've been thinking about conversations we've had recently about instructional design and e-learning development, learning technologies, you know, all that learning and development in the 21st century stuff. It's exciting, isn't it? So many resources, so many projects, not enough time. Tell me about it. Well, it seems like we both have diverse backgrounds and we have some unique opinions, interesting perspectives that I think other people could benefit from hearing. How about we launch a podcast? A podcast? Really? When? Now. Later this week? No, right now. I'm actually recording already. That's a little creepy. Yeah, sorry. I guess it is. So are you in? I guess I have to be. Sure. Let's do it. So what do we call our podcast? Um, one step ahead of you. The Instructional Redesign Podcast. Stories and conversations about the design of modern learning experiences. Was that our intro music? Yeah, I hired a band just to play us in and out today. You really put a lot of thought into this. I, yeah, I guess I have. You know, this being our inaugural podcast episode, I wanted to point out that it's being recorded around the 10-year anniversary of the launch of the original iPhone. It's hard to believe that the ubiquity of smartphones and tablets is a phenomenon that's less than a decade old. All kinds of wonderful affordances gained from mobile devices weren't even possible a decade ago. Kara, in 2007, what kind of phone did you have? I think it was a Siemens M55. And the reason that I remember it so well was it was tiny and it wasn't a flip phone and it had this bright color screen. I remember thinking about buying an iPhone, but at the time I had an iPod Classic, also had an iPod Mini, and I didn't really see the need to get another Apple product. That certainly isn't the case for people now. There are a lot of Appleholics out there. There certainly are. I didn't get my first cell phone until 2004, my first smartphone until 2009, and now with my Samsung Galaxy S7, I'm super pleased to have a very sophisticated camera right in my pocket that's on par with my DSLR camera that I bought five years ago. That's something I never dreamed could be possible, and that's just one example of the capabilities that we've gained from these mobile devices. Absolutely. And I'm an iPhone user and have been for about six years now. And I'm amazed at all the apps out there that complement instructional design. There's Bubbly that you can use to take amazing 360 degree photos, which I know that you can also do with the newest iPhone. There's Explain Everything, which is a dynamic whiteboard app that you can make a video out of. And of course, there are all my lovely social media tools that I could talk about forever. Cell phones have been a game changer for our work. Bubbly, that sounds like a champagne app. It does sound like that, doesn't it? But I guess you could take a 360 video of champagne or a Friday night bonfire. It's true. And I agree with you. Cell phones have been a game changer for our work. The world has changed rapidly in the last decade. The rate of technological change is faster than most people can even keep pace with. More and more things are becoming self-service, automated, connected, and data-driven. In just the past 10 years, so many industries and fields have gone through significant disruption. Many have been completely overhauled, wiping places like travel agencies and movie rental stores almost completely out of existence. 
which is great because I don't want to worry about paying off all those old blockbuster fees I had. Ah, fees. Now it's sneeze. (laughs) One thing interesting about Blockbuster is the difference between human and algorithms. Back in the day, if I went to Blockbuster and rented a movie, I had a human interaction. And I remember I wanted to rent Howard the Duck. And don't judge me, I had a version of Howard the Duck as my imaginary friend as a child. And I could not remember the name of the movie to save my life. I went in and talked to the person behind the counter that not only knew what I was talking about Howard the Duck, but then went into a story about how they didn't care about the set because it was supposed to be set in Cleveland, but there were palm trees. Also, when I returned a movie to Blockbuster, an employee might make a recommendation based on a certain actor or genre. Now with Netflix live streaming, we can watch whatever, whenever, and an algorithm curates playlists based on what I watch. But I share a Netflix account with my husband and parents. My parents watch Westerns. My husband watch anime. So I can understand why Netflix wants me to watch Cowboy Bebop. But I want to watch a good documentary or trashy reality show. You're absolutely right, Joe. That's a significant disruption. And today, if we wanted to try and recall what a movie like Howard the Duck is, we'd have to ask Google what that one movie with the big talking duck was and might might not figure it out. But I'll defend your choice of imaginary friends. I could easily see Howard the Duck fitting into the Marvel Universe in a Guardians of the Galaxy type fashion. Yeah, he could be friends with Rocket for sure. Exactly. So the learning and development industry, if we can call it that, it's no exception to all this change and disruption. And if we aren't careful, the training department could go the way of Blockbuster. Because overall, L&D tends to be very slow to adapt. It's also largely reactive, not proactive. When large technological change occurs in the world, it first takes our industry a while to even realize what's happening. Then, slowly, it adapts and usually creates a few buzzwords along the way. So when we say instructional redesign, this is part of the problem we are referring to. But we don't want to just rant and complain. If we bring up a problem on this podcast, it's our hope that we can also try and offer some solutions as well. In this case, Kara, I know you have done some work around evaluating learning tools, which is something we'll definitely talk about in future episodes. But I want to hear your perspective on what are some of the problem areas or opportunities related to instructional design that you've encountered? Well, I I think you did a really great job there, Joe, because learning and development is a slow-moving behemoth. While I'm quick to point the finger, I think there are some factors that are true for many L&D departments. The first is instructional designers wear way too many hats. Have you looked at a job description lately? Oftentimes, these companies, they want e-learning programming experience, graphic design, evaluation experience, and the list goes on and on. While I'm an instructional designer in my job title, at least half of my job revolves around facilitation of workshops. I really want to dive into this notion of specialization versus trying to be well-rounded at some point. Also, L&D at most organizations doesn't stand alone. In order to implement something, legal, administrators, other departments have to give the green light. Constantly seeking that kind of approval, it kills innovation and it can make it cumbersome on igniting change. Finally, I think a big area of improvement for many is not being in the practice of lifelong learning. I can't tell you how many people I've encountered in my career that have this, I've done it this way for 20 years and I still want my paper binders mentality. 
As someone who is so anti the way it's always done, it kills me and I get so angry when people like that think that they're masters and experts. That's one thing that I love about instructional design in general. I think that the moment you say you're a master in it, you show how much of an amateur that you are. If you aren't constantly getting feedback to improve, how can you master anything? Exactly. I couldn't agree more. If we aren't willing to be lifelong learners and take a step back to have some more self-awareness and improve our processes, then how can we expect people to take us seriously when we ask them to do the same thing? So maybe through this podcast, we can advance more progressive viewpoints and help others disrupt the way it's always been done mentality. While we certainly have a long laundry list of items to use as topics for future episodes, another goal we have with this podcast is to get more perspectives than just our own. That will likely involve interviewing special guests, but also adding in voices like yours, dear listener. So follow us on Twitter at Redesign Podcast and subscribe to our podcast by going to instructionalredesign.com and stay tuned for questions and polls that will help us shape future episodes. Finally, if you like what you hear, make sure to write up a review on iTunes to help us out. It's the best free way to support us. But if you'd like to support us financially, we have a Patreon page set up. So for the price of a cup of coffee or 20 or a car payment, you can help us cover some modest costs associated with the podcast, like this band I hired. That's it for today. Kara, thanks for hopping on this adventure ride with me. Here's to many more episodes. I love the fact that you call me. You already have the Twitter set up. You have the Patreon set up. You have our website set up. Did you think I was going to say no? I was really hoping you wouldn't. Gentlemen, play us out. Bye.